0: It is good to see everybody this this morning. We are going into this brand new series uh, called Formed, and uh, we, um, uh, we, as, when we as a creative team talked and talked about this series and the Formed, and we came up with the potter's wheel and stuff, and, and uh, we were talking about uh, we'd love to have a potter's wheel, but they're like $4,000, and we don't have that in our budget and and stuff and then uh nicole went up to the uh the village pottery cafe deal and she's like oh yeah i can get you like shards of broken pottery and stuff and that would be awesome we could set them out and throw them at each other and everything but uh uh and and, and that was four weeks ago that was four weeks ago that she went up there and, and, and did that and and talked with her and it was just like yeah we'll be able to do that but then um kept on her and it it was actually somebody she knew that had boxes and boxes of pottery and broken pottery and and, now yeah they're going to bring it up oh it didn't work out and her husband was gone or whatnot and she called this week nicole called this week and 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 said hey you know it's we're starting this week and i I need to be able to decorate this week and, and everything and she said yeah about that Husband was bringing up the box of pottery up from the basement, and of course, you know, pottery's heavy, and there's a big old box of pottery up from the basement, and the cat ran in front of him, and he trepped over the cat, and the potter, the broken pottery became dust and and everything, so... We don't have any decoration um, because because of all that, but uh, we are in the series Formed, and all throughout the Bible, it talks about uh, uh, God wanting to form us, and there is something inside of us that, that, that says we want to be formed, that says we, we, we want somebody to form us, and maybe for guys, maybe for guys, you're like, you're looking at the pottery stuff, and you're like, that's a little too girly, a little too uh, ghostish, you know, and, and, and Patrick Swayze, and, and stuff but some of you girls you ladies are like you're all over the form thing and you're like crying now just thinking about ghosts and the, <laughs> that, that that scene and, and the guys are like uh, I need something more manly can I grunt or something uh, but for the guys we want to be formed as well uh, but usually that comes in the form of coaches or mentors or fathers or or, or a teacher that really gave in to us that, that, that we want to be formed we want somebody that's been there done that and got that t-shirt to be able to to form us and to speak into our life and there's a big distinction between telling us what to do and forming us so that we know what to do right we call the people that tell us what to do a boss right or behind closed doors hitler but you know but somebody that forms us instead of telling us what to do but forming us so that we know what to do, that's a big difference. We call that a mentor. We call that a coach. We call that somebody who cares. So this series is about the God who forms us. And actually, we're kicking off a, a brand new year. You're like, wait a minute, hold on. Did we. We didn't pass New Year's, but a brand new year. We're going to be taking a little bit uh, more of the the, the fall uh, calendar year, more like the school calendar year, and and every Sunday after Labor Day, it's a brand new year. We're starting fresh, and it kind of feels fresh, and feels like fall, or it doesn't feel like fall. But, uh, you know, something new, because we're going into a new season. And this entire year, we're going to be answering the question, Who is God? answer the question, who is God? Who is God? I going to start off talking about this God who forms us. This God who forms us. And we're going to go back to the very beginning, to Genesis. Genesis isn't a story about the beginnings just to give us a story about the beginnings. We've got to know why Genesis was written. Genesis was written at the time that the Israelites, after wandering in the desert for 40 years and after being slaves in Egypt for 400 years, it was written, the first five books of the Bible were written to these Israelites. These Israelites had experienced God. They had seen God at work through the the plagues. They would seen God at work through uh, manna and the Red Sea and and water coming out of the rock and all of this. They seen God at work. But they've never seen God. There's no, there was no way to approach God. They'd seen him in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, but there wasn't a God that they could just go up and go, "Who are you? What do you like? What's your characteristics?" And so the first five books of 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 what we now know of the Bible, they didn't have the Bible. The Israelites didn't have the Bible. They were the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. And this book was written, this book was given, or these books, it was originally one book. The first five books were one book. It was given to Moses to tell the Israelites, who am I? And especially Genesis. And through this story of the beginning, it actually tells us who God is through story. Now, some of you are bullet point type people. Just give me a bunch of bullet points. Like, couldn't God have just given this bullet point? I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Some of you are story people see we, we've got this in our household i'm a nonfiction guy i just bullet points you know what it, how does it matter get it get it down get it down get it down Nicole's more of a fiction type person it's like i, I got to see it in the story i'm like don't bother me with fluff let's get to the point so some of you are more story type people and actually our culture is a story type culture and our culture really gravitates towards telling a story through a story Telling something deeper that's through a story. And this is what Genesis is, is is, is telling us something deeper. Who is God through the story of beginnings? And we're going to go to the very beginning, Genesis 1. Genesis 1. And some of you maybe are like, oh yeah, creation, you know, give it to him. And some of you are like, oh no, creation, ah... Our fights are because we're trying to answer the wrong questions. We're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We're trying to answer things like how and when, when that's not the questions that God's trying to answer in Genesis. He's trying to answer who and why. And when we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, we really look like a bad emphasis and we have fights that are just played out that's driving people away from the right questions that we need to be asking. And so Genesis 1:1. We start there and if you have you you brought a hardbound Bible, you can follow along. It's not really that hard to find. Um, just start kind of flipping in the front and you'll get there. <clears throat> If you have a, a tablet or smartphone, here to serve is our, is our code, Wi-Fi code, and you can get on there and follow along with the Bible app, or uh, you can follow along on the screen. We'll throw them up on the screen. But Genesis 1-1, some of you know it, right? Probably a lot of you know it. Probably you might have not been in church for years, but you could still quote it. In the beginning, God. We just answered the question, didn't we? Who? You know no not the Geico commercial who 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 but who who created God in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth He created it's him But why We have three different stories of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 We just read one of them <laughs> in one mission statement, and one succinct statement that you can memorize in 90 seconds, we have one creation account. But we all want detail, right? So the rest of Genesis 1 and into uh, Genesis 2, the first four verses of Genesis 2 tells us another detail account. And then the rest of Genesis t- 2 tells us a different detail account. Same, same story, but just from different perspectives. And those accounts tell us, and answer the question, why? Why? Why did he create? Why? I mean, if he's God, why? He doesn't need anything else. In him, he has everything he ever needs. Why? The earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Why? He wanted to form, wanted to form the formless. He wanted to form the formless. It says that, that, that the creation, what, what was there, the earth, was formless. didn't have borders. didn't have edges. Uh, it, 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 it was just, just a blob. It was there. It was formless. See, on one hand, we have God created, but created kind of gives this this genie in the bottle type atmosphere. And the Bible says, and we'll get there, that God spoke and it happened. But but at the same time, created is just like poof, and it's there. But the idea of God forming is completely different. It's like he's taking clay and building something, isn't it? That he's at work. And it's not just this thing that happens, but it's this thing that, that, that is happening. That he's taking something that's formless and, and he's, he's molding it and shaping it into the way that he wants it, much like a potter would do with clay. And this is exactly what Israel needed at this time. See, Israel, they were getting ready to be a nation. They had just wandered in the desert for 40 years and been slaves for 400 years before that. And then before that, they were just this nomadic family. They had never been a nation before. They didn't have borders. They didn't have uh, laws. They didn't have polity. They didn't have anything that Formed them together as a nation. And here they are on the cusp of the promised land, on the cusp of becoming a nation, and they're saying, We're formless. We're formless. God's saying, Wait a minute, hold on. I formed a universe that was formless. And if I formed a universe, if I formed an earth that was formless, do you not think that I can form a nation? That is formless, but for some of us sitting here, you probably say, "You know what? Formless describes me." I mean, yeah, I, I, I yeah, you look at me and I have a shape, but on the inside, I'm formless. I don't have borders. I don't, I, I don't have anything that restrains me. I don't have anything that keeps me in. I'm just formless. And God's saying to every one of us this morning, hey, look, if I can form a formless earth and a formless universe, if I can form a formless nation, I think I can form a formless person. I think I can form you. You. And the first five books of the Bible are are about Israel hearing and following God and trusting Him and that when they trust Him, they will be formed into exactly what He wants. And it's a story to us telling us that if we allow God to form us, if we hear and follow Him, that, that He will take what is formless inside of us and give it shape and give it structure. But why would he want to form the formless? Why would he want to do that? I mean, again, he's God. He did not have to, but why would he want to? Genesis 1.3. Then God said, let there be light. But also there's a clue into what we've already read. He said it was formless and empty, Right? It was uninhabitable. Nothing could live there. Nothing could live there. And the scripture goes into this account about how, what God, about what God does next. Then God said, "Let there be light." But a little bit, little bit of background. I use the New Living Translation, and most of you, not all of you, know that there's several English translations, and maybe some of you that, that have struggled with church are like, why on earth do we have so many translations? It's because the Hebrew, which is what, what, how this was written, and the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, are so nuanced as, 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 as ancient language that you can come at one Hebrew word or one Greek word with several different uh, English words and still capture the idea And so every translation has a purpose. New Living Translation, the purpose is to make make the Bible readable. Uh, There are other translations that that want to stay closer to the original text. Uh, A a translation like that is the English Standard Version, the ESV. Instead of saying in the ESV, then God said, they say and God said. And there's an important distinction there. That is closer to what the original Hebrew is talking about. The original Hebrew is not trying to do sequen- sequential. It's trying to show system. It's trying to show that God is doing this systematically. So, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed and morning came, making the first day. Let me ask you a question. How vital is light? How vital is light to... Making this place able to be lived in. Imagine if it was dark all the time. Be cold, be depressing, be dark. We lived in Syracuse, New York, and everybody knows about Seattle and how dreary and how many cloudy days Seattle has. Well, actually, Syracuse rivals Seattle for the amount of cloudy days that uh, they have in a year. And before we went and lived there, people talked, it's it's depressing. It's depressing. People get depressed because of the lack of sun. Light is vital. Light is important to life. And that's where God starts. Then God said, or and God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. God called the space sky, and the evening passed, and morning came, mark- marking the second day. Like, what's all this waters business? He's separating the earth waters from the sky waters. And what's the sky waters? Atmosphere. Let me ask you a question. How vital is the atmosphere? It almost sounds silly, right? <laughs> Why would you even ask that question? How vital is the atmosphere? Well, A, A to breathe. It's vital. And just to show that, that, that the atmosphere is still water, and some of you are like, yeah, 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 science class. I, I googled this. At any moment, the atmosphere contains an astounding 37.5 million billion gallons of water. And sometimes that feels like it all congregates in the Ozarks during the summer. What's more, this amount of water is recycled 40 times each year in what is known as the hydrological cycle, what we consider rain or precipitation and evaporation. The amount of energy released as 37.5 million billion gal- gallons of water condenses would be enough power uh, n- enough to power the Madison Wisconsin metro-, metro area for 144.5 million years. Like how bigs Madison. At that point in time it doesn't really matter. This is how much water is in our atmosphere. (laughs) Did God separate the, the, the land water from the sky water? He separated it. And how vital is it? How vital is it? Well, we couldn't breathe without it. And the hydrological cycle, precipitation, and evaporation, how important is that cycle to life? And how important is that cycle to be first set up And then this happened. And God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place. So dry ground may appear, and that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the water seas. Let me ask this question. How vital is dry ground? I mean, Jesus walked on water, but he didn't live on water. Dry ground's a bit vital. And then what happens? And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed bearing plant, and the trees that grow seed bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed bearing plants, and the trees with seed bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed, and morning came, making the third day. How vital is vegetation! I mean, yes, the food chain deal that we eat vegetation. Maybe some of us could eat a little bit more, but we eat vegetation. But also, to this whole hydrological cycle, how vital is vegetation? Rain comes down, soaks into the ground, it goes back up. We breathe. Carbon dioxide, what does it do? Goes into plants. That water helps recycle the oxygen back out. How vital is plant life? We couldn't live here without it. Then God said that lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let the lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made the two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, which, in case you're wondering, that's called the sun. And the smaller one to govern the night. I think you're following along, right? This is the moon. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. How vital are the sun, moon, and stars? Well, without the sun, we couldn't have this hydrological cycle, could we? Without the sun, we couldn't have the plants that are needed for life. Without the moon, we wouldn't have tides that seem to be the cleansing effect on the earth. How vital are the sun, moon, and stars? Without them, we couldn't live. We couldn't habitate this earth. Then God said, Let the water swarm with the fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and the morning came, marking the fifth day, systematically making this thing habitable. We now have birds in the sky and we now have fish in the sea. And how vital are the birds and the fish, yes, to the food cycle, but also but also to make this ecosystem right. Birds in the sky, fish in the sea, all doing their thing to make life occur, to make life happen. It's all vital. God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring, and the same kind of livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. That is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce the offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. We get to a point where we're like culminating something. Here, he's completely completely filled the earth now. The water has something, the air has something, and now the land has something with the animals. And how vital are animals to our ecosystem? Again, food chain, but again, the animals do their thing. They eat the plants. They poop the plants. That goes in the ground. That fertilizes the plants in order for them to eat it. And here we go again. How vital are animals? How vital are animals? God is making, God is forming the unhabitable into something that is habitable. Something that we can live in. Something that something can live in. He started with empty. He started with unhabitable. And he finished with completely habitated. And you know, do you know, the number one inhabitant of the earth Some of you Bible scholars are like, Ha, I'm on this one. I know this one. You haven't talked about it yet, but it's people. (laughs) Wrong. It's not people. It's not people. Genesis 2 says that God walked with Adam on earth. God made this earth so that He can live here. The story of the Bible, the story of the Bible isn't about us getting to heaven. The story of the Bible is about God habitating with us. There's a theological term for that. It's called Emmanuel. It's not Christmas time. We're not supposed to speak that word unless it's Christmas time. It's Emmanuel. God with us. That's the story of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. By the way, that's the last chapter of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. God with us. God habitating us. And in order for him to habitate here, he had to form it into something that was habitable. So the Israelites, they're on the brink of the promised land, and they spent, 40 years, they spent 40 years wandering around the desert to kill off the people that looked at God and said, you've led us out here to die. This land is inha- unhabitable. We cannot destroy the giants. We cannot take over their cities. We cannot live here, God. What have you done to us? And God let them wander in the desert for 40 years to kill them off, kill that generation off, so that another generation could come in and habitate the land. And while this next generation is sitting there on the brink of the promised land, the giants are still there, the cities are still there, the the, the, the walls around the cities are still there, and they're probably on the brink of the promised land going, I don't know how we're going to habitate this. It's unhabitable for us. We can't do this. And God's saying, hey, hey, look, 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 look. I've already done this once before. I've habitated this earth once before. Do you not think that I can habitate a small stretch of land on this earth? Do you not think I can do that? And some of you here feel the same way. Why would anybody want to habitate with me? Why would anybody want to live with me if you really knew who I was? If they really knew who was I was and what, I would, uh, what I've done. Why would anybody want to be with me? And by the way, and I, do, I, don't, I don't do this to pound on anybody, but I, I do want to reveal what is in our hearts. This is probably why we are so quick to move in with each other and live with each other. I found somebody that would habitate <laughs> with me and, and, and without them really knowing who I am? Absolutely! absolutely I'll do that here's what God's saying here's, here's what God's saying I did it for creation I did it for a country I will do it for you I want to shack up with you I want to live with you I want to habitate with you. But but, but God, I'm not, I'm not habitable. I cannot be ha- habitated by you. You don't know what's in me. Yes, I do. I want to shack up with you anyway. I want to live with you anyway. I want to be with you anyway. You're like, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Ephesians 2.22 through him you Gentiles are also being made also being formed of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God wants to habitate you and me and he is continually forming us into the person he wants us to be so he can live inside of us. But why would he want to habitate us? Why would he want to live in us? He's God. And we're people. Why would he want to do that? Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make human beings in our Image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. To which all the guys said, Amen. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look! I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he made and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Why does he want to have it? Hate us? because he forms the imageless. I mean, I mean, it doesn't say this here. It says this in Genesis 2. But He made us from dirt. There's no lower image than making something from dirt. He's like, I'll take, that, I'll take that dirt, I'll take that mud, and I'll form something. There's nothing lower than dirt. But He gave us His image and He breathed life into us. And there's nothing higher than that. There's no greater image than than that he forms the imageless and so here Israel Israel is on the brink of going to the promised land and they're going we've never been a nation before our image has been 40 years of wanderer 400 years of slaves and then before that a couple hundred years of nomadic family we don't have an image we don't have a brand how are we going to get this image of being a nation how are we going to get this brand of being a nation how are we going to get that And God's like, I got that covered. That's what the first five books of Genesis are about. Of God saying, if you hear and follow these five books, you'll take my image. You will take my brand on you. I will give you my image, my brand. And in the New Testament, when it says things like, uh, Jesus said, "If, if you pray in my name, I will give you whatever you ask. This isn't a little tagline. He's not, he's not telling us to just put a little tagline on the end of our prayers. Blah, 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 blah. In Jesus' name, amen. No. It's to pray in the character, it's to pray in the image, Is to pray in the branding of God. So some of you are saying, yeah, I feel imageless. Deep down inside, I, I, I feel imageless. I don't, I don't have an image. I don't know what my image would ever be. I've jacked up my image. God's saying, if, 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 if you hear and obey, if you have faith, if you believe, I will give you my image. I will give you my brand name. I will give it to you. The image that exceeds every image or the name that exceeds every name, I will give it to you. And I will form you into my brand. Isn't that pretty cool? He wants to form us into his branding. You know, for some of you, that's like, you know, branding has the image of Abercrombie and Fitch, or, you know, whatever. For some of you, branding has the image of cow, hot iron, you know whatever whatever works for you if if you want to be seared by a hot iron on your butt by god then great <laughs> but he wants to make you into his brand no matter where you've been no matter what you've done all of us he did that for people he did that for a nation And he will do that for us. As a side note, he's doing that for us as cross point, a gathered people called his church. He's doing that as well. But why would he want to form the imageless? Why would he want to do that? Genesis 2, 2, 2, 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day that he re- when he rested from all his work of creation. This is, <clears throat> sorry. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So on the seventh day, God rested. Ever ask yourself, why would an all-powerful God ever need to rest? We're going to look at his all-powerfulness next week. We're going to look at that next week. But why would an all-powerful God need to rest? I mean, does that not make him not all-powerful if he needs to rest and take a nap? There's three different ways to kind of look, three basic ways to kind of look at uh, uh, the day of rest. One is, unless you take Sunday off and come to church, you're a sinner and need to repent. All the while, the man saying that from the front of the stage is working. Ever, ever thought about that? Ever thought about it? I work on Sundays, all right? This is work. Uh, some people smarter than me have come up and said that 30 minutes of public speaking is like eight-hour workday. And there are some days I feel that. Another way to look at it is that take any day off. God, God, God has set us up for rhythms and t- take any day off. Just separate some time for rest, separate some time for worship. Because this is a consideration of, uh, of, of this idea of rest as well. That, that we're separating time in order to rest and worship. We're getting closer. Getting close. God certainly set us up that way. A day of rest is a gift that God has given us. So to blow through that gift is, is is not doing what God intended our bodies to do. It's getting closer, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think that is fully what this is talking about. This hit me a couple years ago. And when it hit me, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've, I haven't heard this before. I haven't listened to it said this way before. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is there... Does it say that then there's an eighth day and God goes back to work. You say that? No, it doesn't say that. It ends with the seventh day and God is resting. Here's what I think is happening here. God is saying, I've done all the work. I've done all the work. I'm going to rest and you get an opportunity to hang with me in this rest. I've done all the work. By the way, work and rest are not opposites. They complement each other. Work was a precursor deal. Work was a part of what Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden. Work and rest are not opposites. They are complements to each other. God is saying, if you hang with me and stay with me, you will find rest. And that the seventh day is a perpetual deal. He always wanted us to live in the seventh day. But we all know that we can be restless. And what God is saying here is that he forms the restless. He forms the restless. And so here the Israelites are on the brink of the promised land and they've wandered for 40 years and they've slaved for 40 years and they haven't re- or 400 years and they haven't rested in about 440 years. It's, it's, it's a long day job. God is telling them, "I always intended this to be you resting in me." And I will give rest to the restless. He says this in Deuteronomy I am giving you cities you didn't work for. I am giving you grapes you didn't till the ground for. I am giving you rest because I've done the work. Jericho? Walking around the city? Yeah, sure, they, they labored. I mean, they physically walked around the city. I'm sure that was tiring. But who did the work? God. God brought the walls down. And so God wants us to find rest in the restlessness, and just in case you're like, ah, I don't know, this is new. I'm not sure. I've got a verse for you. Actually, twelve. He was one. God's promise of entering this rest rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that that some of you might fail to experience it. We can miss God's rest. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. He's talking about the people that said, no, we're not going to go into the land. We don't believe you, God. We're not going to go into the land. And God's like, here the writer of Hebrews is saying, those people didn't enter God's rest because of uh, uh, lack of belief and disobedience. Even though this rest has already been since, has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Right? Here, the writer setting the groundwork. But the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, for people to enter. And some of you are like, oh yeah, 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 I know that verse is talking about heaven. Hold on a second. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering His rest. rest. And that time is when we die and go to heaven? Time is today. Today. You can enter His rest today. Right now. You don't have to wait to die to rest. You can do it right now. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there's a special rest from ra- for, for, still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. If we have faith in God, we have rested from our labors, just like God did. God set all this up so that we can rest in his labor. So let us do our best to enter that rest, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. He's saying that restlessness comes from sin, and we've all felt that. We've all felt that. We've all felt that when we've sinned, that restlessness that is deep inside of us. And some of you maybe feel it, but never really knew what that was. And God's saying, I've labored for you. You can enter into my rest. And then as as this plays out in life, you ever... have you ever done this, done the work that you did it all day long, but you go, I could have I, I can do this all day long, I can do this all the time, I feel powerful when I do it. I feel like I just feel like I'm working, but I'm not working, the, that whatever comes out of me is, is 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 bigger than what I actually put in it. You found God's rest in your work. He wants to give rest to the restless. He wants to form the restless. He wants to do that for every single one of us. Does that mean that if we have belief that we will get to heaven and experience that? Yes. However, it starts with today. Today. You can find rest from your labor today. Today. And this entire story is to point to one thing. Actually, to one man. That in Jesus, all of this comes together. In Jesus, God is saying, I form the formless. In Jesus, God is saying, I habitate that inhabitable. In Jesus, he is saying, I give image. I form image in the imageless. And in Jesus, he is saying, I form rest in the restless. It is in Jesus, it is in one man, it is in his death, burial, and resurrection that we find fulfillment in all four of those. And the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to hear and follow and say, in doing that, you are going to form me into who you want me to be? Or are we going to disobey and continue in restlessness? Philippians 1.6. This is our memory verse. We're going to start having a memory verse with, with every series. And I want all of us to memorize this because you can take this, hide it away, and use this. I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, sounds like he's forming us, doesn't it? will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's not done with you yet. He is forming you, but He's not done with you yet. See, our culture is a culture of you need to already be formed. You need to already have it all figured out. You need to already be be done forming. But God's saying, no, I am forming you. And you know when I'll be done? When Jesus comes back. That's when I'm done forming you. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. And that, my friends, is good news. That he's not done with any one of us. So as the band plays and we consider what God is saying to us, here's something that he's saying to every single one of us. I'm not done with you yet. Are you going to hear and follow so that I can continue to form there's some of us that, that, that this issue has been settled a long time ago and, 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 and you're, you're saved, you've had trust. You know, maybe there's something that he's working and, and, and saying, you're not letting me form you here, let me form you here, or, or, or what, whatever. Deal with God as you need to deal with God. But praise the God that forms us through these next three songs. Some of you are saying, I, I, I need to start the forming process. I need God to start that process. What you find is when you come and let him form you, he's already been in the works of that. But you need for the first time to say, I trust God. What do I do now? What do I do now? And the wild thing is, is that God's like, you rest. You rest and then I do it. And so use this time to simply go, I get it, God. I get it. You're trying to form me. I've not let you form me yet, but I want to now. And let Him come and form you. I'm going to be here. Shelley's back there. Grab somebody that you trust if you want to pray with somebody. But spend this time considering what God has done and what God's saying and how He's forming you. Let's pray. even Father, Lord, Lord, I thank You for this time. I thank you that you're forming us. That you formed us however many years ago that was in the garden. But you're not done with us yet. You're not done with us. Allow us just to rest in the fact that you are forming us. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be formed already. That you take us where we are and you form us. Allow us to experience that in this moment, but day by day by day. We thank you. to your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we praise the God that formed us.